Uh, well, welcome everybody. My name is John. I serve as our family and discipleship pastor. And happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. And uh, when we talk about dads, it's not just de- the, the first definition. We're talking about foster dads and stepdads and grandfathers and, and anybody who plays the role of a father figure uh, in our lives. We know that that is an important and essential part uh, of, every, of every family. And dads, we have a mission. And it is a mission to influence. It's a mission to minister to our families and lead our families on this journey towards relationship and restoration with our character. We're calling it Mission Possible because oftentimes it feels like a mission impossible. It feels like it's just that there's kind of a daily uh, grind to that. But it's Mission Possible because it's something that we're doing along with the God of the universe. And dads play a, a pivotal and very influential role in our lives and the life of a family and most of the dads that I know are, are very dedicated to their families. I also know a lot of dads, myself included at times, who are inspired when they hear a motivating truth about fatherhood, but they don't really know how to live it out. Or maybe they lack a sense of confidence to, to trust themselves in, in doing it in the right way, whatever that, that may be. It can be a struggle to find our rhythm as dads and to feel confident that we're doing all that we're supposed to do. Many times, I know in my own life, as I look at all the ways that, that my wife manages the day-to-day details and the family calendar, all the bases are covered there. And so as I take a back seat to some of those details, I start to inadvertently take a back seat to some of the other ways that, that God has given me to influence our, our family. And, uh, and w- when we do that, we, we have to just find a moment to, to recognize that, no, there is a, there is a God-given point of influence that fathers are to have in their families. And, um, and as we look at this, we're going to look at how this mission is possible. And as we jump into that, let's start our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, in a world of imperfection, we thank you for your perfect word. Your truth is certain and it does not change. And we praise you for that. We thank you for the gift of your heavenly fatherhood. Be near to us as we celebrate and honor our earthly fathers and also as we grieve the loss or absence of our earthly fathers. God, we pray for racial justice and equality in our country and in our world, and on this weekend, when we commemorate the the ending of slavery in our country. So many years ago, we pray that you would empower us to continue the work and reform that is still to be done on so many levels. Move us, God, to bring your kingdom to earth, to bring heaven to earth, that, that the world would be the equal place that you have created it to be. As we look to your word, we ask that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes and give us wisdom to know you more, and equip us and revive us for the mission that we've been called to. Amen. So my family's journey started like, like many of yours, after a season of dating and engagement. Uh, Jill and I have been married for 18 years this coming month. And uh, here, here we are on our wedding day. Look at those two little kids. We had no idea what was ahead of us. I still had my hair. I mean, it was, it's been a rough journey. No, not with her, but, you know, the whole, the whole thing. Um, our reception was at the Minnesota History Center in St. Paul. And it was just such an incredible day to, to celebrate uh, the love of God and to celebrate our commitment uh, to one another. And uh, like many wedding days, it was bliss. It was perfect. And Jill and I even got to drive away from the party in a fancy sports car. The car was a 2003 Ford Mustang Mach 1. We have a picture of it here. This isn't the actual picture of the... I don't know how to make a car do this, 
but I know that that car was, uh, was able to do that. But it was, uh, it was a brand new model, and uh, it happened to belong to my father-in-law, and uh, he's with us this morning here and has never heard this story before, so you can pray for me. Um, <laughs> but for those of you car geeks, Under the Hood was a 4.6 liter v- V8 engine, which means it was big. It was built stock to crank out over 300 horsepower. It had a five-speed manual transmission, and the engine breathed through a functional Ram Air hood scoop. Now, even if you're not a car guy, the second that somebody says Ram Air, you're like, ooh, that, that, that's fast. Those are good. I don't know what that is, but that sounds like it must be fast. And uh, other go-fast hardware included specially calibrated cams and high-flow cylinder heads, a forged crank, and performance exhaust manifolds. I have no idea what any of that is, other than that it was fast, it was cool, and it sounded like a race car. On our way to the St. Paul Hotel, now, if you, you picture downtown St. Paul, the distance from, from the History Center to the St. Paul Hotel is not very far. It's a few blocks. But uh, we pulled up to a stoplight, and I felt like James Bond. I was dressed in a tuxedo. I had the love of my life in a fancy dress next to me. I'm 23, so I have no frontal lobe development whatsoever. (laughs) There's no impulse control happening at all. And I'm driving my father-in-law's sports car. And just then, a villain arrives on the scene. He pulled up alongside of us at the stoplight. He was about 16 years old, a whopping seven years younger than I was. And he was driving a souped-up Honda Civic with a sport muffler, no hood scoop. Now, I've got a little Subaru rally car guy in me, and I drove one of those in college, so I had some respect for my friend in the Honda Civic, and my pulse quickened as I considered the opportunity that was before me, and then in a rare moment of impulse control, my frontal lobe lit up, and I thought to myself, don't even think about it. Racing in this moment would be just, would be totally selfish. Keep your composure and focus, but then he revved his engine, (laughs) and Jill even noticed And she looked over at his car with this sort of look of disdain. And then she looked back and said three words to me that I'll never forget. Take him, honey. (laughs) It's a true story. Suddenly, I no longer have blood in my veins. It's electricity. And my heart is pounding and my adrenaline is pumping. And I look around and there's not not another soul in downtown St. Paul. It's almost midnight and it's just the two of us at the line at this stoplight. And I'm about to put on a little street racing clinic for my young friend in the Honda Civic. With the car still in neutral, I moved my foot over to the accelerator and revved my engine to let all 305 horses speak for themselves. (laughs) I depressed the clutch, shifted into first, and moved my foot over the accelerator. And when the light turned green, what happened next was like something out of a scene from The Fast and the Furious. We shot like a bullet off the line so fast, we were down the street and around the corner into the, into, the, into the hotel before I think he was even through the intersection. Now, it's important to realize, recognize that I did not race the full length of Kellogg Boulevard in St. Paul at dangerous speeds. That would be really dumb. Um, what I did was only a little bit dumb. <laughs> and, you know, fast forward 18 years and a lot changes. Replace Mustang with minivan and the same scenario except that we're trying to get to a baseball game on a Wednesday afternoon in Woodbury, which is impossible, by the way. And, uh, and I don't get the same response from her. I've tried and something about a minivan with our three kids and it changes everything. And it's not three words anymore, it's one. Don't. <laughs> That's all it is, is don't. Don't do that. That is dumb. Our wedding was very exciting, and uh, it was a very 
wonderful beginning to our marriage and to our family. Uh, We celebrated God's love, and we celebrated with our family and friends. And like any journey or adventure, the path ahead was so well laid out, full of fun and joy and anticipation. And most journeys and adventures are like that. We make a plan, and we, we put it all together. And once the journey begins, things can change. It's not all fancy cars and easy seasons and big wins. There are unexpected storms and setbacks and circumstances that don't always present an obvious next step. Once we introduce children, the stakes get even higher and the path more unpredictable. And maybe your heart is more invested than you thought possible, but you're still not quite sure how to carry it out in the day-to-day. So maybe you need some inspiration and a plan to follow to carry this out. Dads, I would say most of us need a plan to carry this out. And so we're going to look at two types of influence this morning and three ways to complete this mission. And we're going to look at that through the lens of of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Uh, So you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. There's Bibles in the chairs in front of you if you'd like to use those. And uh, we'll look briefly at a couple verses in chapter 1, and then we'll move to chapter 5 and 6 for our our main text uh, for today. But here's a little background about what's happening in this letter from Paul. And so in the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's encouraging them to live in light of what they believe. And so he's holding up that this is what you believe. This is what you believe. And this is, what, this is how you need to live. If you say you believe this, this is what your lives should look like. And so he's, he's not only um, rebuking them, it's not really even so much a rebuke as much as it is an inspiration. Because Paul starts right from the get-go, uh, encouraging them according to who God is, not, as a, not just according to who they are. Uh, in his book, The Invitation, Eugene Peterson, who translated the message translation, gives an introduction to every book of the Bible, and it's, it's incredible. And so this is what he says is happening in the book of Ephesians. He, Paul, begins with an exuberant exploration of what Christians believe about God. And then, like a surgeon skillfully setting a compound fracture, sets this belief in God into our behavior before God so that the bones, belief, and behavior knit together, and heal. As Paul goes to work, he ranges widely, heaven to earth and back again, showing how Jesus, the Messiah, is eternally and tirelessly bringing everything and everyone together. This is the work of restoration and formation, setting something back to what it was meant to be. And this is what Paul is doing in the book of Ephesians. In his letter, he's writing to them to encourage them and inspire them And in our relationship with God and our journey with him are precisely this same work. It is a journey of restoration and formation where we're looking at the truths of God and how we're called to live. But we first start with, well, what exactly do we believe about that? And how does that inform how we live in the day today? And and Paul, again, Paul doesn't just start with a list of instructions. He starts by reminding them that the means by which you're going to do this is not from your own will and your own might. It comes from the power of God. Of God, And in the message translation, uh, it puts it this way in, uh, in uh, the first chapter of Ephesians, verses 17 through 19. I ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him, endless energy and boundless strength. The utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. God is completing something in us. 
and through us. And Paul calls the people of Ephesus to, to recognize that truth before he even starts down the path of talking about what their lives should look like. And that is such an important distinction for us to make as we look at these ways that we can influence our families and, and the way that we can complete this mission of influence. And so as we, as we look at this, Paul's prayer is pointing to our belief in God. And, that, and, and as he does that, then he moves on to talking about, okay, so how does this actually work its way out in, in our lives? And so as we look at the, at the fifth chapter of Ephesians and the sixth one as well, there's a couple verses that we're going to highlight, and I'll have them up here as well. But uh, the first one is, is verse 25. And Paul says this about how husbands ought to be present and, and, and influencing in the, their relationship with their wives. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, oftentimes, there is a, bit of, there's a little bit of a noise in the fifth chapter of Ephesians. And, and we can be distracted by, I think, some of uh, the commands and the instructions to, to women and to wives. And somehow, for some reason, we glaze over probably the hardest commandment and teaching that Paul gives in the fifth chapter. And it's to husbands. And what he's telling husbands is to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Well, how, how did Christ love the church? By service and sacrifice and giving of his own life. Jesus died for the church. And so Paul is reminding, reminding us, reminding the people of Ephesus and now us, that we are to, we are to die for our families. And what, what does that mean? It means service. It means sacrifice. And so when we look at this other word, love, Love, we look at, how, well, how did Jesus love? Jesus routinely laid down his life for the people around him. Now, if we skip, up to, skip over to chapter 6 and verse 4, Paul gives some instruction with regard to fathers and their children. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Now, right here, every time I read this, I'm like, me exasperate my children. I'm the one who's exasperated, right? No, so fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So this word exasperate, another way to think about this is, is do not let your kids be heavy-hearted. Do not let them lose heart. In other words, fathers, encourage your children and bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. And what is, what is training and instruction of the Lord? Helping them to understand what God's story is, who he is, and how to live in light of that. It doesn't mean that we're, that we're, for some reason, and maybe my brain is the only one that thinks about this, but when I think training and instruction of the Lord, I, I first thought we're talking about memorizing whole books of the Bible. I think of like the most complex, hardest thing, thing to do. And I think what Paul is saying here is bring, bring your kids' faith to life. Help them to understand who God is and let them see it in you. And so there are two types of influence that Paul is underscoring here. And he's giving these instructions. He's pointing out that there's a specific role that, that, that a father plays in his family. And he's also pointing out that the way that this role is carried out is not to be done in the, is not to be done in the sense of power or control, but in ministry and service. In service and sacrifice and love. The same type of love that we see in Jesus. And so we have positional influence and relational influence. And this is how we define those. Positional influence is seeking influence from the posture of your position. It means that, that you're going to yield your authority 
in this case as the dad, just because you're the dad. And that all the things that you're going to, to, to do to influence your family happen just because you're the dad. Relational influence is seeking influence from the posture of relationship. Meaning that the people that you're influencing know enough about your heart and enough about who you are that they are drawn to, to what you're saying and to how you're, how you're guiding them. We have a great graph that, that, to, to show how this works out in the, in the life of a parent. And now we, we've used this graph, I use this graph all the time because it, it is so clear in helping us understand what this parenting journey looks like. So quick to orient you, across the bottom we have all the, the ages of our kids from the time they're born until they will graduate. And across the top, we have the number of hours that we have at e any given phase. And so in a, in a, in a, in a, in a family that will uh, have kids at home and then kids in school, that time decreases rapidly. And look, at by the time they're in middle school, the time that we have to influence them during the day is four hours or less. And by the time that they're in high school, that time decreases to two hours. And so how are we to influence our kids and our students at that, at that age. Well, right here, we, he, we see the positional influence and relational influence. And so our positional influence, meaning that the way that we're going to influence our kids is just because we're the parent. That doesn't work once we get way over here. And it's actually decreasing from the very moment that they are born. In fact, when they're born, the only thing we have is positional influence because we don't really know them and they don't know us. But over time, our relational influence is increasing and, and what they know about us and what they know to be true about how we love them are the way that we, that we relate and influence them. And it's about love. It's about guiding. It's about discipline. It's about all the things that we do as parents. But it comes through the vessel of our relationship, not just because we're the parent. When we get over here to middle school, one of the most common questions that, we, that I hear from parents is, I just don't know how to influence my students. They seem so influenced by their friends. Well, why is that? They're influenced by their friends because that's where their relationships are. That's not inherently bad. It's telling you something. It's telling you that if you want to influence your students, you need to relate to them. And you need to, it doesn't mean it's laissez-faire and anything goes. Sometimes it's the exact opposite. It's the way that we yield that influence that makes the difference. And yielding that influence with our relationship with them is the way that leads to the type of relationship that drives to connection and influence, the type of influence that we are called to have um, on, on our kids. Jen Wilkin is a prominent author and speaker, and we've also used this quote quite a bit uh, because it points so well to this parenting journey as well. Parenting can put us into a fog, rendering many of us in survival mode, ready to pronounce any day in which everyone makes it to bedtime alive as a raging success. But we know in our hearts that more is required of us than survival. We can't afford to simply make it through the day. Those survival days have a way of turning into weeks and into months and into years. And before we know it, opportunities to point our children toward faith in meaningful ways have fallen to the wayside in favor of just getting by. A favor of just, just, we're just trying to get by. And we know in our hearts that that is not enough. It's not what we desire. We want to do more. And, and, and influence, relationships of influence is how we do that. So here are the three ways that we complete this mission of influence. The first is with intentional presence. Intentional presence is, how, is, how, is one of the ways that we complete this mission, this mission. In his book, Manhood Restored, Eric Mason says this about the intentional presence of husbands and fathers. Presence is the active involvement in the life and development of the family. A man must then actually enjoy being with his family. Did you hear that? A man must actually enjoy being with his family. They must not be a necessary evil or a source of major frustration. 
but to people with whom we have deep and rich relational commonality. Our presence sees the culture of the house. Our, our presence sets the culture of the house. Jesus has restored the ability for the man not to be a passive and or aggressive presence in the home, but one that impacts the life of one's wife and children. Who has restored our ability? Jesus has. It's by his power that we, that we can influence our families in the way that we're being called to. I, I read some research this week about the influence of, of fathers and the current state of the family. And we know broadly that there is a, a, a pretty major crisis in our country and in the world, a lack of father figures in, in many, many homes. But one of the things I looked more deeply at was, okay, what about the families where there is a dad who doesn't really know how to influence his family, or maybe just doesn't influence his family. What, what about those dads? What are, what, what's going on there? And so that's what we're trying to get at here today. And, and the research pointed to some things that, that we already know and, and a couple of things that I you know, didn't re- really recognize. But we already know that, and we talk about this a lot, that parents are the number one influence on their kids. They're the primary spiritual influence in the lives of their kids. Dads play a particularly key role here. And the research then, this is the part that I didn't realize, is who's number two? Grandparents. The grandparents, and then particularly grandfathers, play a particularly strong role in the faith development of their grandkids. In fact, it's said that even when kids are, are growing up in a home that maybe doesn't have any faith or spiritual influence, the spiritual influence of a grandfather, they've shown that, that, that those kids will, are on a trajectory to lasting faith because of the influence of a grandfather. And so whatever phase you're in, whether you're in the throes of fatherhood of young kids or you're launching your kids into adulthood or you've started to, to influence your, your, your kids and grandkids in this phase, this, 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 this position of influence and this opportunity to influence is there at every single phase. This type of influential presence starts with humility. It starts with humility. And humility, again, is yielding our leadership from a position of relationship rather than rule. And we can look to how Jesus did this. He doesn't lead from a posture, he doesn't lead from a posture of authority and, and position. He leads and influences from a posture of relationship. He does so with the authority of God. He doesn't try to, 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 to mince words. He, he does so very authoritatively, but he yields it through the context and the confines of our relationship. And how does he do this? He does it through a posture of service and sacrifice. And so serving our families actually rescues us from building the wrong kingdom. When we seek to serve and minister to the needs of our family, it, it rescues us from building the wrong kingdom. And, and the intentional presence that we have to have in our families uh, saves us from building the wrong kingdom. And what I mean by kingdom is that any of us, all of us, uh, right from the beginning of creation, we are all bent on, on kind of wanting to, to build our own kingdom. And when we serve our families, when we think deeply about what the needs of our families are and we serve them in that way, it reshapes our thinking. And instead of thinking about ourselves, we start thinking about the family. We start thinking about God. We start thinking about what is God trying to do through me in this family? How am I to influence them? It rescues us from building our own kingdom. And that is something that we all have a tendency to do. We start thinking about what would serve us best. 
We all have a gravity of selfishness that drives us to think about what would make our lives a little better or a little easier. And that is how we start to build our own kingdom. And lastly, on this, this, this intentional presence has to involve fun. A rhythm of intentional fun drives towards relational influence and presence. Fun leads towards healthy interactions and connectedness and relationship and influence. Just think about the power of laughter. And think about for a moment, when was the last time that as a family you did something fun or you enjoyed a laugh together or watched a funny movie or played a game or just, or just did something recreational? Having rhythms of fun in our families future-proofs our families from the storms and, and setbacks that, that will come at some point in our families. It builds relational capital. And as we move through uh, seasons of crisis or struggle, if we don't have the relational capital that we need to move through those seasons, we will be relationally bankrupt. We won't have, if you think about that graph, we won't have the relational influence that we need to guide them through there. Last weekend, I got to spend some one-on-one time with our son, Bennett. He's our, he's our middle child, and uh, Logan was at Camp Getaway, and Eden was at a cabin with some friends, and, uh, and uh, it has, was recently Bennett's birthday, and so we picked up a new bike for him and went and did some mountain biking, and then Bennett had, had brought to our attention that he, he said, hey, Dad, do you know what Cold Stone is? I was like, yeah, you mean like Cold Stone Creamery? He's like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I know what that is. He's like, well, how come I don't know what it is? <laughs> so apparently a few weeks ago, before school was out, they were talking around the lunch table about great ice cream places, and Cold Stone Creamery came up, and Bennett didn't know what that was. And he's like, so, Dad, I'm sitting there, and I feel like I'm living under a rock. That's, those are his exact words. And, uh, and so we went to Cold Stone, and on the way home, Bennett says to me, he's like, Dad, this was such a great day. Thanks for hanging out with me. And See, we can move through the day-to-day and think that there are moments of interaction and connection, and there are, but nothing beats the one-on-one time or, or a, a, a rhythm and a, and, a, and a moment of fun and connection. It drives us to relational connection. Presence is the foundation by which we complete this mission of fatherhood. The second way that we influence our families is through intentional spiritual formation. Intentional spiritual formation is thinking about, praying about, and making a plan for what spiritual formation will look like in our homes. Now, spiritual formation, I know what you're thinking, is a very academic, seminary-sounding phrase. So whatever you think it is or think you're not, get it out of your head and a thousand miles away. Because spiritual formation is instilling rhythms and practices that lead us to grow closer to God in our belief and in our behaviors. And even that sounds a little bit academic. But as you think about what it means to be intentional about that, we're, we're, we're just essentially thinking about how can I help my family to experience God today? And that might be just by saying a prayer over them as they go to bed. It might be by taking a hike or going on a bike ride and pointing out the, the beauty of God's creation. It might be having a time of, of family worship if your family likes to sing together and, and, and will engage in that. It might be scripture memory. It might be reading a book of the Bible together. It might just be reading Bible stories or acting out Bible stories together. Some of these things, you know, obviously change as our kids get older and go through different phases of age. But thinking about how we are being formed, in the, how we're being formed in our relationship with God is essential to how we influence our families. And please think about this with a growth mindset. Fixed mindset says, I don't know how to do this, and I will never know how to do it. 
Growth mindset says, I don't know how to do this, or I'm not sure if I'm very good at it, but I recognize that it's important, and I'm going to take some steps to figure out how to do that better. It's one of the things in our men's ministry that we call journeymen. It's one of the, the most powerful parts of that group of guys, is that it's a bunch of guys, a bunch of dads, for the most part, trying to do the same thing, they're trying to be healthy husbands and healthy dads, and they're trying to figure out how to help their families to be spiritually formed. A friend of mine shared with me how he was taking steps to overcome a type of negative presence that he was bringing to his home and as he was realizing how it was negatively impacting his family. And he shared how the process of tackling this in his own life led to helping one of his kids with a similar issue. When we step back and look at our lives, there's going to be some stuff there. And sometimes that stuff creates a bunch of insecurity in us that says, ah, I got too much other stuff in my life to, to even think that I could be an influence on my kids. That's only if you're trying to do this on your own. We've already established that part of how we're doing this is with God's help and with his presence. And so we take those things to God and we say, God, I got some stuff going on, but I, I want to influence my family in the way that you have, have given me to influence them. And so help me, help me to do that. It may take a shift in our thinking to embrace this. And when we start to shift our thinking, it's how we move towards having an intentional vision. And that's the third way that we complete this mission of influencing our families. Intentional vision. Where are we going? What are we doing? Where are our, our, where are our lives aimed? And this starts with God's vision for the family. That the family is the place where we learn these fundamental narratives of life, and, and particularly who God is, and the heart of God. Love, safety, care, belonging, connectedness, all of these things that are core to who God is. Community. And we live this out together, empowered by God's presence and promise. This isn't something that we can manufacture on our homes. And I think on our own, for, for most of us, that's where we start to, to, to experience a sense of insecurity and where we just kind of give up. It's like, I don't know how to do this, and, and so I'm just, I'm not going to do it. Or I'll do it tomorrow, and then tomorrow turns into next week and next month and next year, and we never get there. But if we say that we believe that we are to have this influence, then we have to take steps to live it out. And when we're being formed, we are, we are beginning to, with what we believe is being knit together with how we live. We are being formed when what we believe is knit together with how we live. And having a plan for how our family is spiritually formed is part of that. One time Jill and I were having a conversation, and this was a particularly um, difficult season for, for me, and, and we were talking about family and, and kids, and, and, um, and she said, so when you envisioned getting married and having a family, what did you think of when you thought of raising kids? And the first thing I thought was like, this is a trap. This is a trap. I know where this is going. But she, was, she wasn't asking it as a trap. She was, she was sincerely asking, what did you think of? And, and of course I had envisioned having a family and, and, and working together as a couple to raise our family. But you have no idea of knowing what that's going to look like. Or you add the stress of work and the, and the daily grind of life. And you, you really have no idea of predicting how you're going to respond to that. And moments like that are moments, are moments where we realize that we are disintegrated. Where there is something that we believe that isn't making it into how we live. Dads, we believe that we play a pivotal role in our families. And as we're celebrated today, it's also a great time to stop and take stock in where you're at on this journey. It's time to recalibrate and recommit 
to the important work that we've been given. And it isn't for you to go home and shrug your shoulders and feel like, gosh, I'm such a failure. It's not to do that. It's to, to take a step forward to say, this is where I'm supposed to go. And to get there, I'm going to ask God to step in and walk with me. So this is about taking steps towards God together. And, and, and then walking into an intentional vision um, with him. One of the dangers is that we can think, again, that this is like a, a measure of accomplishment or success and that it's got to be a straight line that goes up and to the right. But that's not how this works. Any of us who have been through a season of struggle or even trauma knows that despite our best efforts and our best attempts, life and our spiritual journey can be very difficult and painful. Our influence on our kids and families isn't always something that we see in the immediate. It's not always tangibly there. But if we look and step back and think about the journey that God has been on to rescue and restore us, we are on the same journey with our families. Where in any given day, it can feel like we're not making progress. But over time, we are making progress because God is in the midst of it with us. And we may have seasons of struggle in our own lives as parents. And in my own life, some of how I have been able to move through struggle is because of how I've watched my dad do it. Watching him navigate seasons of struggle and setback and grow through it has created in me a sense of grit and resolve and an ability to trust God through the hard stuff. And I've seen my dad lead our family despite the hard stuff that's going on in his life. And now today, I know how to lean into my faith and trust God and myself to move through setback and struggle and still lead our family at the same time. It doesn't, I don't do it perfectly. In fact, it's oftentimes a hot mess. But it is a faithful hot mess of moving forward. And this is the type of influence that we're talking about. As fathers, we have the opportunity and the call to bring this type of presence and culture to our families. But it's not on our own might and it's not of our own determination. We have to embrace God's grace to, embrace, to influence our family. And then we have to renew our vision of what that looks like. Renew your vision of what your presence and influence look like in your home. And then celebrate that God is completing something in you and through you. God is doing something in you and through you. And as I coach and counsel families who are in really difficult positions with their kids or in their families, one of the questions I often ask is, what do you think God is doing in you in the midst of this? Ask yourself that today. What is God doing in us through this? Not just trying to make something new in you. That's happening too. But maybe he's showing you who he is. Maybe he's reminding you that he's with you no matter what the circumstances you're experiencing. So as we carry this out of here today with us, uh, one of the things that we can do is think, okay, here's my to-do list. This is what I'm supposed to do. That's not what this is about. This is about stopping and embracing the influence that, that God has given you, but remembering that, that you are, can only influence your family by first inviting him into your life to help you do that. And we have some other tools and resources. And so as you, as you take some next steps on this this week, one of those things is that we put together a series of videos for parents that we've been releasing this month. They're all on our website. This is week three. And we're walking through everything from screen time to five essential rhythms that, you, that we want to help you establish in your family. Go watch the videos. They're less than 10 minutes long, and they're really practical and really straightforward, and they will help you to make a plan. Seek the help of a coach or a counselor. If there's some stuff that's raging inside of you that is, is keeping you from being the influence in your family that you know you need to be and want to be, it's time to go talk with someone. And if you need that someone to be me, I would be happy to meet with you and, and pray with you and counsel you and coach you and, and, and develop some next steps together. 
And lastly, as we move to communion, communion is a perfect way that we begin to respond to this. And so you can take out your communion pack. Communion is is the perfect way for us to respond to this because it reminds us that the means by which we can influence our families according to how God has created us comes from his death and resurrection. That when Jesus died and then rose again, as he rose, he, the, the power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives inside of you and me to be able to live this out in our families. And so as you take the bread, remember that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and in the same way he said, take and drink. This is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. God, we invite you here with us as we respond um, to your invitation to come to you and to, in turn, be able to influence our families and the world around us in the way that you desire to see the world influenced. And so would you be present with us as we respond here this morning and as we go out into the week. Um, and we pray that you would be with us. And uh, particularly for those of us who are our fathers, God, would you renew our spirits this morning and inspire us to, to take some steps forward in how we influence our families. And God, may that mark a new beginning as we do this with you and as we see you in a new light and, and walk with you each and every day. Amen.